Hello, Maranatha. It's great to be with you again today. We're continuing in our series of messages about encountering the Spirit. And the last time that I shared with you, I talked about spiritual gifts, and I told you that this time I wanted to focus on the topic of speaking in tongues. And that's what I want to do today. I want to talk about speaking in tongues as a gift. So I want to begin with this confession. I speak in tongues. That's something that I have often not wanted to admit, at least in certain Christian circles. Uh, there were, have been times in my Christian life that I've had a hard time incorporating my understanding or my practice of speaking in tongues with the rest of my theological world. And there's also been times when I've been a little bit embarrassed, or at least wanted to distance myself with some of the, well, the silliness that sometimes goes with speaking in tongues in some circles. And so there have been times when I've not really wanted to talk about it. But over the past few years, last season of my spiritual life, I've wanted to integrate my practice of speaking in tongues with my developing theology and think about how they fit together. And that's what I want to share with you today. I grew up in a traditional Pentecostal church where we thought about speaking in tongues as the initial evidence of the baptism in the Spirit. There's a lot of vocabulary there, religious sort of church vocabulary, but that style of, uh, of theology thinks about the baptism in the Spirit as a second event after salvation, that a believer is saved when they place faith in Jesus for their salvation, and then at some later stage, or maybe shortly after, but some other event happens where you are then baptized in the Spirit and equipped supernaturally with gifts of the Spirit, and the initial evidence that a person has been baptized in the Spirit is that they are able to speak in tongues. I want to talk about all of the things that I just said. I want to unpack that a little bit and share how my view has changed. Now, I said that I still speak in tongues, and, and that's true, although both my practice of speaking in tongues has grown and matured, as I think it should, but also my understanding of speaking in tongues has changed quite a bit from the theology that I grew up with in that Pentecostal context. I first came across another view of it when I went to university, really. And, um, you know, growing up in the church and most of the... I, I knew that there were churches where they didn't speak in tongues. But when I started applying to universities and I wanted to study the Bible, to study theology, um, the first school that was on my list, the top school on my list, I, I, I wrote to them, was in conversation with them, I had started the application process, and I discovered that they had a policy of forbidding speaking in tongues on campus. And that was the first time that I was even aware that there was this anti-charismatic or anti-speaking in tongues camp. So um, I ended up at Biola University instead of that university that I had first been applying to because they had a more generous policy about that and a more a broader spectrum of students uh, in the student body from um, the whole spectrum of the Christian world. I said I grew up in that Pentecostal environment, and that's what Pentecostal means. Pentecostal is uh, a word that's typically used for churches that believe in a baptism.
baptism of the Spirit after salvation, and typically that goes with the belief that uh, speaking in tongues is the initial evidence of the baptism in the Spirit. Uh, then I use this other word just now, charismatic. Charismatic is a broader term, which really just means somebody who believes that the gifts of the Spirit are still valid for today. Or, in other words, a person who believes that the arguments for cessationism are not valid. That there are some people who are cessationists who think that some of the gifts of the Spirit, especially the what are sometimes called the sign gifts or the miraculous gifts like prophecy and speaking in tongues and words of wisdom and words of knowledge, that those kinds of gifts are no longer valid for the church today, while some other kinds of gifts continue. That's a view called cessationism. I described in my last message um, a little bit of why I don't think that the arguments for cessationism are valid, and that makes me a charismatic. Now, the word charismatic is really broad, and it can include a whole bunch of views about the gifts of the Spirit that I would not want to defend myself. I am, however, charismatic in the sense that I believe that all of the gifts of the Spirit are valid for today, including the gift of speaking in tongues. So over the years, my theology about it developed, and I have changed my mind about so many things growing up, um, so many of the uh, theological views um, that I had once held, I've grown away from into a different sort of theological perspective, and many of the practices that I had as a younger believer have matured or changed, or um, some practices I have entirely left behind. And while my theology about speaking in tongues has changed quite a bit, the practice of speaking in tongues has stuck with me. And I, I, I think that's right, and I want to describe um, why that is and my view about it and how it has evolved. So, I've said so far that I don't believe that the cessationist arguments work. I think that there's good reason to believe that the gifts of the Spirit that are described in the Bible are still valid for the church today. But I also am no longer a traditional Pentecostal. That is, I no longer believe that there is a baptism in the Spirit separate from being saved. That once a person places faith in Jesus, they are saved. They have a relationship with God. They have the Spirit empowering them to become more like Jesus. And that includes the Spirit empowering them with spiritual gifts for the edification of the church. So I don't believe in the baptism of the Spirit as a separate event after salvation any longer. And so I don't believe that the gift of speaking in tongues is the initial evidence of the baptism in the Spirit. But I still believe that the gifts are valid, and I believe that speaking in tongues is real, and I do it. So um, let's talk about what I think about the gift of speaking in tongues and how I understand it coming out of the Bible. And we'll look at uh, the primary passage where that occurs in the New Testament. First, let me emphasize that um, I don't think there's any reason to believe that our worship practices can be out of our control. That a practice that happens in the church in the context of a worship service, if it's out of the control of the person doing it, I think that that isn't of the Spirit. So I think we want to say that uh, the Spirit empowers us as a body of worshipers, um, and he does that by 
transforming our character by moving us toward Christ-likeness, by shaping us, not by controlling us like puppets, or you know, animating us to do things that we otherwise um, wouldn't do, or didn't remember doing, or don't have control over. That's not the work of the Spirit. And that's, I think, consistent with everything that we see in the New Testament about the role of the Spirit in transforming us, not in controlling us. So that's relevant because the primary passage about speaking in tongues from the New Testament comes in the letter to the Corinthians, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 14. And we have some context from the letters um, about what's going on in the church in Corinth, which is a city in Greece. We know that this church, among the other things that it's struggling with, is struggling with a problem of disorderliness, chaos, in the worship services. And Paul wants to give some advice to help bring that chaos under control. And he's very specific about the kinds of things that the church leaders should allow and not allow. It seems that some people are standing up in the service to give a prophecy to say, this is what God is saying. And at the same time, somebody else is standing up to read a scripture passage, and somebody else is getting up and speaking in tongues, that is, speaking in a language that nobody else understands. And these things are all happening at once, and people are using their spiritual gifts as kind of a badge of their own spiritual superiority to show off what they can do. And Paul thinks that all of that chaos is not from God. It's got to come under control, orderliness is a value that he has in the worship service. But then also he thinks the motivation needs to change. Uh, we, we don't use our spiritual gifts as a badge of our superiority or of our maturity, but rather um, in worship to God and in service to the body of Christ. So that's the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where Paul talks about the gift of speaking in tongues. Let me read uh, an extended passage beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Verse 1. Follow the way of love, and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will it be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. 
If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray also with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else, who is now put in the position of an inquirer, say, Amen to your thanksgiving, since they do not know what you're saying? You're giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. That's 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1 to 18. So Paul is describing this gift of speaking in tongues in its prophetic or public kind of use. It seems that there are some people who want to stand up in the church and speak in tongues, that is to speak in a language that nobody else in the congregation can understand, a language that isn't a modern language, perhaps, a language that is just a language between them and God, and they're going to speak in that language for everybody to hear in a prophetic kind of function. Paul says, if that's going to happen, then there should be somebody to interpret it so that everybody can be edified. Everybody can be instructed. They can receive something from it. Otherwise, what good is it that you're standing up and going on in this language that nobody else understands? So that's the first use that Paul describes in this passage of speaking in tongues. He's describing a practice that involves having words or vocabulary or sounds that you're making that don't correspond to a modern language, that are part of the life of worship, that you could stand up and speak out loud to everybody with, but you should only do that if there's going to be somebody to say, you know, I think this is what the Spirit is saying. That is, there should be somebody to interpret that word in a tongue, the way that a prophecy then would be edifying or helpful for the whole church. But Paul describes also here a second use or a second kind of speaking in tongues. And we find that in verses 27 and 28. 1 Corinthians 14, 27 and 28. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Ah, so here's another context or another use for speaking in tongues. There's that public, prophetic kind of speaking in tongues for everybody to hear. But then there's a, a private kind of use, but just between you and God. Paul has, in fact, started the passage by saying anybody who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. He utters mysteries in his spirit. So Paul is thinking about this as a, um, a practice which doesn't involve a modern language or a language that other people would otherwise understand. He speaks not to men but to God, utters mysteries in his spirit. And so Paul says, just do that. Speak 
quietly between you and God, unless you're wanting someone to interpret what you're saying so that there can be edification for the whole body. So that gives us a kind of dual purpose for the gift of speaking in tongues, the public prophetic use and the personal private use of speaking in tongues. When I was um, a kid, I think I was eight years old, when I responded to uh, an altar call at a service in my church, uh, and I, I was prayed for by the elders of the church to be baptized in the Spirit and speak in tongues. And at that time, at eight years old, I, I started speaking in tongues. And it's a practice that has been with me for all of those years since. Now, I don't believe that speaking uh, in tongues is the initial evidence of the baptism of the Spirit, or that there is a baptism of the Spirit as an event after salvation, but I also believe that God is gracious, and he uses even our incomplete categories. And while I believe that uh, that isn't the way that the New Testament is describing the baptism in the Spirit, uh, I, I also think that the men and women around me were uh, genuine and they were sincere and seeking God and that God uses our incomplete and um, sometimes not quite accurate categories and still reaches out to us and he he still uses those categories and I think that's exactly what happened when I was a kid I think God did graciously give me something when I was eight years old and that practice of speaking in a language that is otherwise not a modern language it's just a language between me and God. It started then when I was eight, and it continued even though my understanding of the gift has evolved and changed since then. It's that private, personal use of speaking in tongues, speaking between me and God, that has continued in my life. So... As I've reflected about what's happening when I'm speaking in tongues, uh, I've recognized that it is a spiritual gift. It's a gift in the way that teaching is a gift or evangelism is a gift. A gift, as I said last time, is a spirit-enabled capacity. It's a spirit-enabled capacity. It's an ability that's empowered by the spirit as it fits into the life of worship of the church. And I think that's just what uh, this, the kind of speaking in tongues that I'm describing is like. Uh, it isn't secret knowledge. I don't believe that I'm getting a lexicon, a dictionary, a downloaded into my brain the way that you can add a language to your uh, voice-to-text function on the iPhone or get the phone to speak to you in Japanese if you want it to. It will. Uh, but... I don't think I'm downloading a heavenly language into my brain um, or that that's what happened when I was eight. Rather, it's me creating the words in the same way that it's me creating the words when I share the gospel, exercising the gift of evangelism, or when I teach the Bible, uh, exercising the gift of teaching. It's not that God has downloaded secret knowledge about the Bible into my brain. It's rather that he has given me the right motivation and the skills and the personality to be able to do that job well. And I think that's what's happening in the gift of speaking in tongues as well. It's, it's me making the sounds, the words, even though they don't correspond to modern vocabulary, the vocabulary of a modern language. Um, and yet it is spirit 
empowered. Um, it's not divine dictation. It's not me speaking in a thus saith the Lord kind of mode. Um, and since it isn't a modern language, there's no rules of grammar. It's not as if I could be getting the words or phrases wrong. It's me bypassing the regular function of language to create a kind of a heart connection between me and God. And like any other gift, then, it has to mature, it has to be developed, it has to be exercised by our own choosing. And I think that's what's happening when I speak in tongues or pray in tongues. So in keeping with the lesson of 1 Corinthians 14, speaking in tongues is not evidence of spiritual superiority. It isn't um, a badge to be flashed or some kind of a criteria for status in the church. There should be nothing like that connected to the gift of speaking in tongues. It's a form of worship, like singing a hymn or praying in English or any other languages that I've learned and have benefited from, or the way that we are worshiping with our bodies when we are fasting. Speaking in tongues is a, it's a form of worship. And when I'm speaking in tongues, I'm exercising a gift, a spirit-enabled capacity, and the spirit's job overall in me and in the body of Christ is to move us toward Christ-likeness, to be transforming us, to make us more like Jesus. So I speak in tongues when I'm focusing on God, and I don't have to be looking for things to say to God. It's a, a kind of a an inner connection I'm moving my soul, orienting toward God, um, bypassing the, the kind of the regular search for words and acknowledging God's worship worthiness, in fact, by admitting in this practice that I don't have the words. My words are not enough. And yet I want to worship. So it expresses that kind of intention to worship um, in a way that is beyond the capacities of regular English, or Turkish, or Portuguese. Speaking in tongues, then, isn't about accumulating power. It isn't uh, access to secret spiritual power. There isn't uh, some uh, spiritual power reserve or like extra power that I have or can do extra powerful things if I'm speaking in tongues. That's not what's happening. It... Uh, that sort of view of speaking in tongues seems to me much more like the apostles coming to Jesus to ask to sit at his left and his right. And Jesus telling them, that's not what this is about. Is my speaking in tongues exactly like Paul's? I don't know. But I think it is more like what Paul has in mind than some of the things that I see happening in Christian circles. And I think the view of speaking in tongues that I've just described will probably come under criticism from, um, from both sides. That is, there's the Pentecostal charismatic camp that will probably criticize my view of speaking in tongues as I've just described it as being not spiritual enough or not supernatural enough. Um, but I do believe that God does give us spiritual, spirit, spiritual and supernatural insight sometimes in, 
gives us some insight about things that we otherwise could not have known to pray for or to speak to somebody. He leads us in that way. Uh, still, my view of speaking in tongues is about a, uh, connecting my ability to pray with the Spirit's power and bypassing language to speak to God in this heart connection kind of way. On the other hand, there are sort of the anti-charismatic, the cessationist camp will criticize my view of speaking in tongues, probably pointing to the possibility of the abuse of gifts. That's often something that I hear, but the spiritual gifts can be abused. Well, that's true. In fact, that's exactly why 1 Corinthians chapter 14 was written. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians in part to address the abuse of spiritual gifts in the church, and Paul's strategy to deal with the abuse of spiritual gifts is not to forbid their exercise. He doesn't say, so therefore don't do those things. Rather, it's to, to provide a kind of framework to bring those things into order. And I think that's the kind of approach that we should have. That's the approach of the New Testament. That was the approach of the Apostle Paul. That should be our approach rather than just um, forbidding it. On the other hand, as I said, I spent lots of years a little bit reluctant to address the topic um, because of those criticisms, perhaps, from, uh, from both sides. But I don't think that that's a sustainable perspective either. We, we want to live in an integrated kind of way. I want to integrate my inner life and my outer life as much as possible. Another question that arises here is who can speak in tongues or who should speak in tongues? The New Testament seems to be clear that not everybody does, and I think it's quite clear in the New Testament that not everybody has to. Uh, but because I believe that speaking in tongues is a gift of the Spirit, I think anybody can want it, just like the gift of evangelism or the gift of teaching. Um, and I don't think that the gifts of the Spirit are, the lists of the gifts of the Spirit in the New Testament are comprehensive. Um, so there are, well, worship leading, for example. Uh, it's, it's good to want to have those gifts, those abilities, those spirit-enabled capacities to worship God and serve the church. And, um, and that means I think it's, it's good to start practicing those gifts that you want to exercise. So in the case of speaking in tongues, I think it's okay to just start doing it. Uh, it isn't, I don't, I'm not waiting for a language to be downloaded into my brain. That's not the way the gifts work. I'm just exercising an opportunity to connect with God in this personal language kind of way and praying for God's empowering in it. Uh, I, have, I have a poem that I wrote about this uh, that maybe expresses better what I want to say about it than... Uh, what everything I've said in these previous 25 minutes. Uh, let me finish with this uh, with this poem. And I recognize that what I've said about speaking in tongues today maybe raises some questions for you, um, and I'm happy to address those. You can feel free to write to me, or you can connect with me. Barry can help you to connect with me. You can put some comments on the Facebook page or on the YouTube, and we can start an interaction about these things. Um, I'm sharing my view about speaking in tongues. I believe that it's real, uh, but I also have moved away a little bit from the kind of uh, traditional Pentecostal view that I grew up with, still have wonderful friends, um, spiritual mothers and fathers and colleagues and brothers and sisters in that world and in the broader evangelical non-charismatic world as well. Here's a poem. I speak in tongues. 
I speak in tongues when no one is listening, and my soul needs to talk to someone and be heard. Like liquid gurgling as it pours from a mostly full clay jar. In words I haven't really learned and don't think I know, maybe angels do. To pray the urgent accumulating things I probably should not understand and cannot tell because language is coarse, the spirit fine, and my mind wants the music hidden between the keys and syllables that no other audience could appreciate or inspire. That's what I have to say to you today about speaking in tongues. I hope that is helpful for you as you think about your own spiritual gifts and your relationship to God and the way that the spiritual gifts are open, available to you. May you pursue all of the spirit-enabled capacities um, as you see them and understand them and come to a desire to serve the people of God and to worship God in the context of the body of Christ. Thanks again for this opportunity. Talk to you again soon.